So this morning as we think about Father's Day, it comes with a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm not really going to be preaching about Father's Day as such. I'm talking about our wonderful Father God and how much he loves us and what he's done for us uh, in Jesus. But sometimes these days are not always easy, are they? You know, whether it's because you're in the Clinton cards business and you want the stocks to go up or... Actually, whether it's because, as we think about parents, mothers or fathers, you know, that just comes with a whole bunch of stuff, doesn't it? Because fathers can not only be good, but they can be absent or abusive, as well as us learning a massive amount for them, as well as some of us trying to figure out what on earth it means to try and be a good dad, and learning mostly by our mistakes, So as we come to talk about our Father God and the amazing things about Jesus, let me just pray as well. Father, take these words and help us, help us to see you more clearly and to follow you more closely in the power of your Spirit. Amen. So over this uh, next few weeks, we are thinking about uh, what it means to be a growing community and thinking about this little bit from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, what the early church did together when they kind of met and they hung out and what they did. And if you missed last week's talk from Sarah on what it means to be community, please can I encourage you, get onto the website and uh, download it and have an absolutely brilliant insight into what it means for us to be community, the joy and the pain of it together. And as we come to today, we're thinking about that, that little phrase that the disciples met together in their homes and they broke bread. And what does it mean for us in this time? You know, we have a, a good Father, our Father God who loves us, loves you and me so much that he sent his Son into the world to pay the price for our sins so that we wouldn't perish but that we would have life in all its fullness. And the story of the Christian faith is not some abstract set of ideas, it's personal, deeply personal. Jesus coming and paying the price for all of our sin. You know, it's not very popular to talk about some of this stuff in churches or in Christian circles nowadays. Because, you know, we don't, we don't, frankly, what we want to do is we want to make the gospel as attractive as possible. And I do. And we don't want to put anybody off. So honestly, what we want to do is just say, God is amazing and he loves you and it's fantastic. Come on in. Everything's going to be fluffy and gooey and amazing and nice. But there is this bit that also we need to get across which is that God takes sin seriously. You know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That seems like a pretty full-on, you know, judgment, doesn't it? The wages of sin is death. Uh, And yes, this is physical, the fact that you and I inherit death from all those that have gone before us. But actually, that's not the point in terms of what the Bible outlines. What the Bible outlines is that actually the death that occurs is not physical. That's simply the result. The death that occurs as a result of sin, doing things our own way rather than God's, is a separation from our Father God. That we get 
removed, detached from him a little bit. We see this in the garden. God gives Adam and Eve really clear instructions. They go away from his plan and then they're separated from him, separated from each other. Sin disconnects us. This is spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. You know, I'm not very good at um, keeping secrets from Meg. You know, that's quite a good thing. That means I hope and I'm really, I'm open to the Holy Spirit challenging me on this. But it means that actually we keep quite a short account with each other and we don't have a whole bunch of hidden stuff. Um, Apart from anything else, I am rubbish at keeping secrets. You know, if ever I try and organise a surprise for her, there I am, I'm plotting, I'm scheming, I've organised something. I walk back into the room and she just looks at me and is like, What's going on? <laughs> I can't tell you about it. She goes, no, you have to tell me. I'm like, I can't. I, I, it's a surprise. It's, she, oh, and then it's just come out. I'm rubbish at keeping secrets from her. Except this set of secrets. You know, if you need to come and tell me stuff, you need to know that it doesn't go to Megan. It's just important for you to know that. But all the other stuff I'm really leaky on. You know, just can't keep surprises. I don't want there to be a gap between me and Meg, my other half. You know, and God doesn't want there to be a gap between us and him. He doesn't want us to be separate. But when we mess things up, that's the result. It's spiritual death. But because he loves us, he takes that really seriously. He takes the sin seriously and comes to the cross in our place. A a number of years ago, I met... um, one of the one of the men who uh, set up Walk of a Thousand Men. Anyone familiar with that organisation? Just give me a wave. Anyone done the walks? A few of you? Yeah, yeah. I met one of the guys that started it, and he was talking to me about pub evangelism. You know, they'll go and do a walk, and they'll show up in a pub, and they'll share faith. And he said to me, he said, Mark, when you come to sharing faith, always talk about the cross. Always talk about the cross. And I was like, we he was like, always talk about, because the moment we let go of the cross, we haven't got anything. All we've got is a really nice, fluffy, cuddly God. That doesn't deal with our sin. Always talk about the cross. And I don't think, you know, we need to give people a hard time and, and batter them over the head with the Bible or, or, you know, discourage them and make them feel guilty. You know, that's an old way of communicating about this stuff. But we mustn't lose sight of the fact that Jesus has dealt with our sin. That he's made the way. So let's not move away from the cross being absolutely central to our faith. And if we do, maybe we've lost sight of what it's really all about. What God has done is he's made this extraordinary adventure from heaven into the ordinariness of our daily lives. And the way that he's done it is by sending Jesus in person, coming in person to pay the price on the cross. So the early church, what did they do? They, they met together, they met in the temple courts, but they also met in each other's homes and they broke bread. And as we think about, you know, we're thinking about communion a little bit this morning, the bread and the wine, although we're not actually going to celebrate communion, which is a bit strange, but we did that last week and I'll explain why in a moment. And you need to know that I said the same set of stuff, by the way, to the nine o'clock service, okay, to our sanctuary service, which is 
our slightly more formal service with robes and the table and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I said this, these same set of things to them. Actually, Jesus didn't ask us to celebrate communion, to remember in bread and wine, in a church building on a Sunday. That's not what he asked us to do. He didn't ask us to do it with, you know, someone like me at the front, as I was at the nine o'clock service, dressed in robes, okay, and giving out wine from a silver chalice and bread off a silver plate. As much as those things are really lovely, do you know the reason why we have a silver chalice with the thing that has the wine in? It's because it's really good at killing bugs. That's one of the properties of silver. And if we're all going to share the same cup, you know, it'd be great to kill some bugs along the way. That's the reason we have it. It's not any more practical than that. You know, there are some other practical things that over time become like kind of quite sacred and special and mean things to us. You know, we don't have communion up there anymore. We have communion kind of down here and you come and stand here. But you know, for some people... Coming all the way to the front of a church building and kneeling along that wooden rail there is really, really important to them. You want to kneel to receive at the rail. Do you know why the rail is there? It's to keep the dogs off the communion table. That's why we have rails in churches, okay? Because churches used to be filled with animals And the reason the rail is there is to stop the animals getting into the holiest place where the communion table was. And suddenly it's become this thing where, oh, I need to kneel before God at this holy rail. It's like, no, it's there to keep the dogs out. I'm not saying you shouldn't kneel at the rail, but let's not, let's not pretend that these are the things that Jesus has asked us to do. That's not what he's asked us to do. What did he ask us to do? To break bread in remembrance of what he's done. And notice where they did it. They did it in their homes. It wasn't an hour on a Sunday. It was in their homes. It was part of community. It was part of the ordinary everydayness of life and the extraordinariness of God breaking in. So let's, let's, sorry, let's go, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going serious this morning, okay? There's not much funny in the rest of this talk, but hold on for the ride, because I hope it's right. As we come to looking at then what Jesus did, there's the disciples and Jesus, and they're celebrating the Jewish Passover together, remembering that exodus out, God taking the people out from slavery, removing them from Egypt. Saving the people. And in that night there was all sorts of things that they used to remember. Four glasses of wine, three kind of um, little bits of bread. They're kind of like um, uh, poppadoms, but not salty. Um, and so, but, you know, they were round and flat rather than like tiger bread, which is what we use. And all these symbols, we haven't got the time to go into all of those now. But what Jesus does is he comes right in the middle of that festival, that celebration. And he flips it all around and he makes it personal. This is my body, he says as he breaks the bread, given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant. 
So let's think about the bread being broken. You know, there's all sorts of pictures in here of the bread at the Passover with Jesus doing that. One of the pictures is, is the manna in the, in the wilderness where the, where God provided for people. Another is of the bread being broken, of the sea being parted and the people of God passing through them. But there's a whole load of other things going on here. There's three, um, bits of bread on the table to begin with. And one of them is lifted up in a Passover meal and broken. The smaller piece, I think, is put back on the table. Uh, and the larger piece is hidden. And then, towards the end of their, of their meal together, all three are lifted up, except the one that's hidden. And a piece is broken off each of them. Anything ringing any bells here? You know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, at the crucifixion, it's not just Jesus that's wounded, but the Holy Spirit and God the Father are wounded too. They experience Jesus' death. They experience separatedness for the first time. They experience in themselves the consequence of all of humanity's sin. And then the bit that's been hidden away, at the end of the meal, is found and discovered. Ring any bells? Jesus' broken body, hidden in a tomb, and then raised to life on the third day. But there's another picture here. And there's this picture that all the way through Scripture, wherever bread is talked about, there's this reference back to the bread of the presence in the Old Testament. This picture of God being present with us. I've said it before here, but you know when you know when you go into a supermarket and you go into the veg section, you know they've got a vent above the veg, veg section in lots of supermarkets, and what they do is they pump in the smell from the bakery. <laughs> it's true. Because you walk in and you go, ah, oh, fresh fruit and veg, fresh bread, I'm going to buy this house because someone put coffee on. Is that, that's the tip, isn't it? Put coffee on, baked bread, it's going to be fine. Your house will sell for twice the price. That's not, that's not a contract, by the way, that's not a thing. The way that Jesus refers to himself in the New Testament is, I am the bread of life. I am the presence of God amongst you. And then he holds up the bread at that Passover meal and he breaks it. This is my body broken for you. Can you imagine the disciples trying to get their heads around it? What, what are you talking about? That's not, that's not the right word. This is my body broken for you. And then he takes the larger portion and he hides it away until the end of the meal. And he would have brought it out at the end of the meal as well. This is my body given for you. And the cup. You know, what makes the cup significant is not the actual cup. It's not whether it's silver or whether it's pottery or whether it's wood. It's not whether it's been blessed or not. What makes the cup significant is the contents of the cup. 
You know, Psalm 23 says, my cup overflows. A cup, in, in Bible terms, can be all sorts of things, but it's about the contents of the cup and about what that contents represents. It can be a cup of joy, I'm so happy. It can be a cup of reconciliation, drinking together. It can be a cup of being poured out. And Jesus says, this is my cup. My blood of the new covenant. It contains something for you. But it's not the same as the cup that he drinks. Luke 22, verse 20. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. But if you look a a little bit further ahead to verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. The cup that Jesus drank and the cup that we drink are different. The cup that he drank was the wrath of God the Father against all of the sin of humanity. It was the judgment of God the Father against all of the things that are wrong in this world, all of the places that he's messed, that we have messed up. It's not Jesus' mess, it's our mess. The cup that Jesus had to drink was the death that we deserved. And he drinks it willingly. Take it away, but not my will, your will. I will go willingly. I will drink this cup of death for the whole of humanity. But that's not the cup that we drink. The cup that we get to drink from is the cup of the new covenant where a new deal has been struck. A new agreement. The agreement that says you are not under God's wrath. You are not under his judgment anymore. The price has been paid. What do you choose? If you choose to drink from the cup, whether it's physical or or metaphorical, what you're saying is yes to what he now says about you. You can have it the other way if you want. You can try and drink the cup that Jesus, the, the cup that Jesus drank. But what he's got for you is the cup of the new covenant where everything has been made new and everything has been paid for. We don't often talk in this way and we don't often kind of dig to these depths of the, of the cross and of what Jesus has done for us. But it seemed right to do that today. I know it's not Easter, but you know, we can talk about this some other times, you know. So what are we going to do with it? Well, you know, th- this whole little series is all about being a growing community. And what I want us to hold on to is this. I want us to hold on to the cross. To not go light on sin. And I don't mean becoming grumpy and judgmental with other people. We've got to be loving and embracing. Welcoming. 
But if we don't at some point talk about the cross and everything that Jesus paid for on the cross and we don't get to choose, then we haven't got a gospel left and we won't grow. But if we're willing to tell the whole story and invite people to fullness of life beyond the cross in the power of his resurrection, then there's hope. There's hope that people will discover him, will follow his ways. But it's not about an hour on a Sunday. You know, at 11 o'clock at this engaged service, we're, we're celebrating, celebrating communion about once a month. Some of you might have kind of gone, Mark, well, what's the pattern? We haven't got a pattern yet. I'm trying to keep you on your toes. Hope you don't mind. We might establish a pattern, and after we've established we'll probably change it. Just, you know, keep you keep you figuring out what's going on. But we celebrated communion last week. But we're not going to do it this week. Because I want to send you home to do what the passage says, to do what Jesus says. To remember in the context of the ordinary. So when you get home, or at some point this week, have a meal and have some bread at the start. You know, if, if you're gluten intolerant, they do some really good stuff without gluten in. It's going to be okay. Alright? It works with gluten-free bread too. And even, it does work with tiger bread. Or draft bread. You know, if that's, yeah, that's a, we won't go there. Not today. If you're, if you're living by yourself, invite someone around to your house. Okay? Have a meal with them. And have some bread at the start. Okay? And break the bread. And have that moment to allow the extraordinary wonder of what our Father God has done for us coming in person, the person of Jesus, who was willing to be separated to experience the death that we deserved and take it upon himself and enter into our, our humanity so that we could be alive. Do that in your homes. You know, if you go out to a, a fancy coffee shop and you're drinking coffee with a friend, yeah, this is great, by the way, if you're, if you're having coffee with a non-Christian friend and they give you one of those fancy little biscuits on the side. It's difficult if they're really small. Send it back and get a bigger one. You know, this is great. You're sitting with a friend in a coffee shop, okay? You get one of the fancy biscuits and you're like, you, and you, you just, before you have the coffee, you, you just break the biscuit in half. You say, that's for you. You go, why is that for me? Oh, Jesus said that whenever we do this, we're supposed to remember him. So I'm remembering it. Hey, what, what are you doing? Oh, don't you know him? <laughs> hey, let me tell you about him over coffee. What a great in. I mean, you can do it weird. Don't do it weird. <laughs> you can do it non-weird as well. I'd love us to pray and then we're going to worship, right? If we can have the band back up. Um, will, you, will you stand with me? Okay? I don't want to make this heavy, but it is serious what God's done for us. But what he's done for us also leads us into fullness of life. But the way we get there is the journey that he chose to take. The cup that he drank for us so that we didn't have to drink it.